Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Expeditions on the Engaging Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Frame. Just hope that uh, all of you had a wonderfully blessed Christmas and a happy new year. And now we're back at it on our podcast. Uh, so we're going to finish up the whole discussion about the overcomer statements that Christ made to the churches uh, in the letters in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. But before we do that, I want to remind you that if you go and follow our podcast on Anchor FM, uh, the Engaging Faith podcast, you can hit the subscribe button. You can also help support this podcast and our ability to provide this teaching and ministry to our listeners. Also, there's a way that you can leave a voicemail for us if you want to ask a question or interject a thought or an idea, and you never know. We might use that uh, on our show or give you a call to interview you or talk with you. So, Engaging Faith Podcast on Anchor.fm is where you can find that and be able to do that. I also want to remind you to check out our website at qministryproject.org. You can find out a lot more information about us and also get to our magazine website, urbanwellmag.org. And now with that, let's just jump right into it. All right, so uh, week 38, we're on Revelation, these overcomer statements. Like I said, I think we can get through all this today. It just depends because our last class two weeks ago, man, when we get on that topic of you know loss of salvation in any way, shape, or form, it, it brings out great discussion. You know, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you were thinking about that uh, when you left class, etc., and and you're digging into scripture and, and what have you. So we're gonna kind of go over. We we didn't quite get to this fourth question, but before we do that, I want to remind you we're looking at these overcomer statements, right? So as we were looking at these letters to the churches, we we deliberately we didn't go into detail about the overcomer statements because we wanted to save this to the end. We looked. Uh, very deeply at each church and what is their context, what's going on, and what is what is Christ saying to those churches. Uh, so this whole idea of an overcomer, and, and this should raise a question in our in in our minds and our heart because we talked about that. You know what? God wants us to use our brain. What's the Berean blessing, right? Don't just take something that somebody says to you, no matter how eloquently they say it, no matter how smart they seem to be no matter how much you think they know Scripture more than you do, or how much better their personal relationship is with Christ uh, in your mind than what yours is, we're not supposed to just take any of those things and automatically say, hey, that's the right way. But yet we're humans, aren't we? So what do we tend to do? Put a filter on. Yeah, we put a filter on. We find, we find that, that, that uh, believer or that teacher or that pastor or that scholar and we say wow man they really have this way of teaching me scripture and I just believe what they say and we don't give any other thought to it and that's not what scripture (laughs) teaches so uh, there's this blessing this Berean blessing that man you go and you search for yourself and we also know God says study to show thyself approved of God well you can't study if you don't think right right I mean, if you're not thinking and you're not bringing reasoning capacity to what you're doing, if you're not meditating and researching and looking and having conversations and then readjusting the way that you're thinking about it, then you're not actually studying. And we need to study because we're also told to do something else. Be ready in season and out of season, right? To do what? Give an answer. You meant to give an answer. To make a defense for why it is you believe what you believe. So we, 
need to look at these overcomer statements, and we need to look at what Christ is telling us, and we need to ask a simple question. You know, who's the overcomer that these letters are about? And, and what's the nature of the promises or the blessings that are being made to these overcomers? Not just read through the letter because we think Revelation is cool and we want to hurry up and get to the juicy stuff, but because we need to study. There's a reason that Christ opened up this revelation to John the way that he did with these letters to these churches. And it does speak to us today. And so we began to talk about that. So this whole idea of overcomer, this is a verb. So the Greek word that's used there, nikah, is, is in the New Testament 28 times. And you're going to find all kinds of, of versions in Hebrew in the Old Testament, right? But what does it mean? It means conquer. Now think about this for a second. Think about what the word itself means. It means to conquer, Right? Which tells you that you're in a conflict. You're in a what is that, Frank? You're in a fight. It, tell, it does, doesn't it? It tells you that you're in a fight of some kind. You're in some situation, some circumstances. And these are clues, right? That you need to understand there's something, there's activity, there's action, there's things that are going on that require you to do things in order to overcome. And then who's he writing the letters to then he's writing to the churches, right? But we know that those letters to these churches, to the assembly, they transition to who? Individual Man, believers. to you, yeah. to individual believers. But we can't lose that, and we've got to keep all that stuff in mind. So there's this conquering, there's this prevailing that it means, triumph, <clears throat> victory. That's not passive. So, so just that reality caused us to ask several questions, and we talked about three of them in depth the last time, which got us into the whole, hey, does this mean, I mean, if he's talking to the churches, right? I mean, if, if you're lukewarm, what does he say? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. So we had this whole discussion, which there's way more to it, of does that mean that you can lose your salvation? And if it doesn't, and it got a little spirited, right? If it, if it doesn't, just to demonstrate I guarantee you, there's somebody in this room, if not a few of you, that have that question in the back of your mind even now. I started out as a, you know, and you guys who've been around me for a while know this, I started out in my Christian walk believing that you could lose your salvation. And man, I was there for, you know, I've been saved now 31 years. I was there for probably a good 12, 12 to, 12 to 14 years of, of my salvation. I believed you could lose it. Because we're not dealing with one passage of scripture. And this is important, right? To go back. If you're going to study, if you're going to be ready to give a defense, then guess what that means? You're going to have to face some realities. You don't get to put your head in the sand and hide under a rock, right? You've got to drop your filters and you have to face scripture. Because who and what is the final arbiter of our faith? It's Jesus the Holy Spirit is God. And if we believe that the word of God is from him, then should we be afraid of it? It also means that that means that we, we ought to just dive right into it, let it speak to us, mull it over, and just deal with what it says. And if we do that, we're going to quickly come to some difficulties. I mean, we're going to come to some difficulties. He, you read Hebrews the last time, right? The man, hey, if, if, if you have once been enlightened, if you've tasted of the heavenly gift, 
and then you turn your back on it, then what? There remains no sacrifice for you. How do you deal with those scriptures? And I've given one example that you have to dig deeper. You have to realize there's a lot more here. You don't get to just pull out a few passages to proof text what you believe. And ultimately, it took me 12 to 15 years to overcome that. Meaning, lots of conversations, lots of digging, lots of praying, lots of wrestling with and coming to what I believe God told me. Which has even changed some as I've matured even more. To ultimately, this is the, this is the reality. The only people going to heaven are those who believe. And believe in what? And in whom, right? Believe in the redemptive work of Christ that he did on the cross, that he's God incarnate, came in the flesh, and died on that cross for me and my sins, to take upon himself exactly what I deserved. And why did he do it? Because he loved me that much. Those are the foundations of your faith. That's right. And I have to believe in that. Well, you know, and you mentioned Vernon, where he would come up with this idea of, you know, do you believe what you say you believe, is he'd pull a verse out that's a controversial verse. Yeah. What do you know about that verse? Because there's all kinds of verses that, that on surface appear to talk about losing your salvation. There's all kinds of verses on surface appear to talk about predestination. You know, the question is, are you digging into the Word? Are you studying? Are you finding, you know, are you studying to find yourself approved? Are you, you know? studying? That's right. You know, you've got, you got an overall picture of a character of God, and we can pull any verse out of anywhere in the Bible and create our, our own religion from that if that's what we choose to do. And we've got 40,000, you know, denominations in the Protestant faith because of that very reason. That's exactly right. But, but, but you've got to understand God's overall character, and I think that's what he's trying to teach us in his work. Totally agree. So that's where that, what's the nature of, this, uh, of, of these letters? What are they about? So if you're really thinking about that, you begin to wrestle with some of these questions, right? Because we're looking at these letters and we're, man, we know who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church, and there's only one way you become the church, right? And it's, it's, and it's not just me, it's us together. There's only one way that you're a believer. But not everybody that's in the church is of the church, right? So now all of a sudden when we step back a little bit and we think, oh, wait a minute, there's more here. If, if it's first addressed to the assembly, to the body, to the churches in this particular location, then we know in that assembly there are people there who are not believers. Can't forget that. So somehow that plays into how we interpret and how we look at what Christ is saying in these letters. There's, all, there's people in there that we talked about in these other three questions the last time that, hey, you know, can you think you're saved just because you said some words but you didn't actually believe them? And then when we get into the history of that, I mean, that's a construct that's fairly recent in the church, meaning like the 18 or late 1700s, 18, middle 1800s. This prayer that we have people come up and say, the way that we do it, what we experience in church, the way we decide that somebody's a believer or how to get there, that's a modern that's a modern construct. So let's go and look. Rick, you've got Revelation 2 and you've got these verses. Let's just look at the actual overcoming statements. Let's just look at those. And, and do we see a picture that begins to emerge? Okay? But before you do that, here's the question I want you to be thinking about. 
Is there another way? We talked about three possibilities that started out with loss of salvation and took us into Cal uh, Calvinist position and all this kind of good stuff. But what about this? Are these letters about the believer being faithful, fruitful, and ultimately receiving rewards? He's talking to believers. He's standing at the door and knocking. He's telling them, hey, there are things that you need to overcome. And if you do, then here's these blessings. Is that, is that what we're looking at in these letters? So Revelation 2, verse 7, 11, 17, 26. Go ahead, Rick. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To, to him who overcomes, he's going to give the right to eat from the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. So, so man, that ought to just jump out. Uh, 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Going to receive a new name from God. Man, we, we saw some examples just in the, in, in the apostles, right? New name was given to them. Now, we know what that name was for some, right? Yeah. But you and I, we're going to receive a new name from, from, from the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to receive some of the hidden manna, that life-giving bread, right? 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Read that one again. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nation. No, similar to uh, the uh, the believers with the talents, the five and the ten. Oh. They were faithful. I will make you rulers over. Now, not all of the not not all of the believers. Some of them got what? Just one. Just one. Some of them got what? Two. Two. And five. Five. Ten. When you start getting to the nations and the cities, and so, are there degrees then of some type, of something in heaven? Rewards. Yeah, the some type, right? Is there? We know there's rewards in heaven. First Corinthians chapter three, and we know that there's very clearly if if we believe First Corinthians three. There's definitely degrees because you got people who everything that they did here burns up right in front of them. But they themselves are saved. That's what Scripture says, right? Well, that's very different from the person who had stuff go through and some of it was silver and precious gems and gold and it came out the other side. That person clearly has some degree of something more that God has planned for us and for them. Then we read what you just said. Read that again, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk a little bit so, about actually. So it, it sounds like on the surface that 
if you if you do all that, then a possible reward could be authority over right, right, yeah, could be, huh? So all of a sudden, there's these clues, there's these things that are popping out that if you take the time to step back a minute, you may start to see something that tells us something a little different. So Revelation chapter three. Lane, you've got that, verses 5, 12, and 21. Let's look at those over. Are these statements progressing? Ready? Yeah. Verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be blessed, excuse me, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Verse 12. So he's going to acknowledge your name. It won't be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. That's another rabbit hole. Yeah, we kind of chased that. Yeah, we chased that a little bit. Yeah, we did, didn't we? But we didn't chase it deep. <laughs> but go, all right, it, was so, per, it was pretty enlightening. Though. It was, though, right? Because there's different ways that, that you approach them. And, and can I go into Scripture? I can't make stuff up, right? I don't get to sit here and go, well, you know what? This is how I read that, and this is what it all means. And go off on some wild tangent where I just totally fabricate whatever to support that. No, 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 no. No, 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 right? Where's the first place I need to go to support a position or an interpretation? Scripture. Scripture. Rule number one. Interpret Scripture with Scripture. With Scripture. Rule rule number one. So what do I want to do? I want to take, if if I'm having thoughts about something, I want to go digging and I want to look and find all the potential places where this issue may be dealt with. Both directly and indirectly. Okay? So go ahead. Verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. going to be a pillar in the temple of God. You'll never leave it. He's going to write on you God's name. Your new name, the name of the of the new Jerusalem, right? And, and his name. His new name, wow. His what? His new name. New name. Verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. We're going to sit with him on his throne, just like he sat on the throne with his father. Now... All of that language, reading these, you see this progression of these amazing blessings to those who overcome, to those who conquer. And, and in the language, you see some things that indicate, they suggest, that there's a few things that are happening in there. Some of them suggest that he's dealing with salvation. Other parts of it suggest that, and, that he's, he's talking to the church corporately. Other parts of it suggest that he's talking to you as an individual. By doing that, some of it suggests that there's individual (laughs) rewards that aren't the same thing as salvation. Because after all, is eating from the tree of life, does that have anything to do with salvation? If I go to Scripture, does Scripture tell me that I'm ultimately saved, fully and finally, once I eat from the tree of life in the terms of what the book of Genesis tree of life is? Does it teach that? It doesn't, does it? And we get this description of this, these trees, the trees of life that, that go down the river 
right? Out of it's coming out of heaven. It's coming from God's throne. The river of living water and these trees, and they bear all this fruit, different fruits, all the time, and we get to eat from it. It's a it's it's a it's a there's symbolism there. And I happen to personally believe that guess what I'm gonna see when when I get up there? I think I'm really gonna see a, a river of living water flowing from God's throne and at these beautiful multi-fruit bearing trees that I get to eat from. But I'm saved when I get there. So in that language, there's almost like this reward that's for you, the believer, the individual, when you're there that doesn't deal with salvation, deals with something else. But then I get to another passage, right? One of these, that I'm not going to be blotted out. I'm not going to be subject to the second death. Well, those two things in particular deal with what? Salvation. Salvation. Man, if I'm blotted out of the Lamb's book of life, I'm not saved. Mm -hmm. So that clearly has something to do with salvation. See how this is intermixing? See how the language goes back and forth between some things? And hence we have these letters to the churches, and those letters to the churches and those assemblies and the things that they're doing begins to transition into you individually. So there's something going on here. And I don't think it deals with Loss of salvation. Personally, kind of fall in this camp right here. That these letters are about something. Okay? And that something is this responsibility that we have as believers. Because when I go to scripture, when I go elsewhere, man, the Bible's really clear. James chapter 2, faith without works, works is what? Dead. It's dead. Now, this isn't a salvation by works. You don't get saved by the works that you do. But when you're saved, when you're a believer, your tree is supposed to bear something. What's Scripture tell us? It's supposed to bear fruit. And if it doesn't. Right. I mean, you brought up the parable of the talents, so I go to those passages of Scripture, and there's clearly responsibility as a believer, even to the point he told the one, listen, man, if you knew that I was going to come and and take what wasn't mine, quote-unquote, anyway, why in the world did you not at least give the talent I gave you to the, to the, to the banker? Mm -hmm. Right? If you didn't have the capacity, if you didn't have the ability to do something, why did you not at least give it to the banker so he could go out and I could get some interest? What's that saying? Look, if you're afraid, if, if you don't feel like you can go out into the mission field, and do what they do, what maybe should you do? Man, invest in someone who can. Right? And, and, and God says that's the what? This is, that's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum. If, if you can't do those things or you're not willing to step out because of fear or whatever, at least invest into the church. Invest into the missionaries, invest into the work that I'm doing. That's the bare minimum. Okay? I, mean, I was just uh, invest. I think the first thing that comes to all of our mind is invest your money. It could also be invest your time, invest oh. your, where, 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 where's your love, where's your, you know, and maybe you, you can't be Billy Graham, but, but maybe you be that, that faithful servant of the body. Maybe That's you right. be, you know, Whatever that is, it's going to look different for everybody. Mm -hmm. but, I think but it needs to be wholehearted. That's right. In whatever it is, it needs to be your time. A lot, you know. This is time, 
Your talent and your treasure. Yeah. And in right? God's eyes, that's of no less value than the guy who had five talents and multiplied. Amen. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you'll do that, God says, you know, God, there's this vision of God, in my mind, okay, from Scripture. And unfortunately, the life of this singer <laughs> went a different direction. But he had this incredible song about, man, thank you. You guys remember that? Ray Bolts. Thank you for giving to the Lord. You know, I think it was Mother Teresa. She said, you know something? We can't all do great things. But we can do small things with great love. We can all do that. Okay? So time, talent, treasure, all of those things. But we're, we're in this battle. There's no getting around it. Somebody go grab Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Yeah. Who's got it? All right. Somebody grab Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I got it. You got that, Frank? Then somebody go grab Romans chapter 12, verse 21. So here's what Scripture clearly tells us. And these passages, these letters to the churches are, are telling us too. We're in a holy war. Man, if we, have to have, if we have to conquer, if we have to prevail, if we have to triumph, if we have to overcome, if we have to be victorious, and that's the language used at the end, right? Those who are victorious, okay? Then what are we overcoming? What are we travailing against? What is it that we're going to conquer? He tells us. He, there's no hiding it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. And you he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in the time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit, and our works in the children of disobedience. Man, you, you, you used to walk in these things. You used to be or belong to this prince of disobedience and this prince of, of powers. Well, what are these powers, etc.? Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our wrestling is not against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. <laughs> We're in a holy war. And we have specific adversaries, according to Scripture. We just read it there. These, these powers, these princes of darkness, these spiritual entities, these things that are out there, and they're influencing the physical world itself. And we talked about in our last with it, Matt, how are we tempted, right? God doesn't tempt us. The eyes. Man, it's you. Yeah. When, when you give in to the desires of your flesh, whatever they are, and, and none of us are alike, Right? And this is a big statement right here. We, we are facing conflicts. What do you see in these letters? Every one of those church, well, not every one of them, you know, but in, in, in life, there's conflicts, there's difficulties, there's, there's tribulations, there's issues that happen in our lives that we face every day. And in these letters to these churches, these churches are real churches in real time and space, dealing with real issues that were different for each of those churches, and he brings those out. Every one of them are dealing with some difficulty, some, some issue in their daily walk as believers, as a congregation, as individuals. The congregation can't, the congregation 
doesn't make decisions, right? And when I'm saying that, I'm saying this, this building, the title or the name, FBC Maypearl, that it by itself doesn't make a single decision. It doesn't do a single thing, does it? The decisions are made by people, by you and I. We're the church. The actions are taken by us. We may agree and collectively do something, but it's still us that does it. So you, you have this responsibility that you've got to recognize you're in, a, you're in a war, and these churches were too. And he's telling them, how are you going to react? What are you going to do? Because he, he said to some, you did great over here, but you weren't so good here, and you better fix that. And if you don't, this is going to happen, but if you do, if you overcome, here's this blessing. Then there were some, he said, man, you're doing, you're facing these issues, you're facing these difficulties, and you're overcoming, and here's these blessings that I have for you. Now others, he said, hang on. Hang on to what you have. Hold on tightly. Don't let go. So here's this responsibility. Who's got Romans 12, verse 21? Grab that. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So lest you're wondering... Right? Frank, don't be overcome by evil. Right? Charles, don't be overcome by the difficulties that you're going to face in life. First of all, that's telling me something. Romans is, isn't it? What's it telling me? This battle's real, and, and I, as a believer, am facing it every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> something is, is taking place in my life, in my experience, in my circumstance that I, Charles Frame, have to deal with. I, Charles Frame, have to make a decision. I, Charles Frame, have to recognize and do something about it. And how do I know that? Just, this is just one verse. Never mind all the letters that we read that clearly are stating this. Just this one verse. How can I, what's a way that I, Charles Frame, can, can make a decision and do something to, to not allow evil to overcome me? It's for me to overcome it. And how do I do it? With good. With good. Well, there's all kinds of things that, that God can put in my heart to do that's good, to overcome that evil. It's not my ability, is it? Because where does every good thing come from? God, from the Father. It comes from the Father. Everything that's really, truly good, everything that, that is beautiful and wonderful, that is true and right, comes from one place. It's from God. And so that means I've got to seek out God to know what's the good God that you want me to do. What are you calling me to in this moment? We also know that he says resist who? The devil. Resist the devil. And what should the devil do? He, right. And it's not he should, right? He will. It says he will. Well, God doesn't resist for me. I have to make a decision. But God empowers me and he gives me the ability. He tells me if I look to him, there's no temptation, Right? That, that, that I'm going to experience that God says I can't handle. <laughs> and when we do that, there's a riot among the angels in heaven. <laughs> yes, look, he did it. He believed. He, he walked in that. So there's this, there's this activity. There's these actions. We're in this war. So this brings us to a question, right? Man, do all Christians live victorious lives? No. I mean, come on, I don't even have to go to Scripture to know the answer to that, right? My own experience tells me. 
your own empirical experience. Wow, Some of the roads I went down, the Lord was um, I'm not going there. You know, and I went there, total defeat, you know, and slap in the face, Lord, where are you? I'm over here. Yeah. So. Well, Do it. So, it so, depends on what you, how you define victorious. Now, wait, say that again. Yeah. It kind of depends on how you define victorious, because if you're a believer, I mean, to me, you've been victorious at that point in one, in one sense. Yeah. So, I mean, now, you just said a key part. You've been victorious as a believer, and what did you say after that? In one sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on how you, you know, how you find victorious. It does, doesn't it? Now, now, some people, some believers may listen to, to this as we discuss and we kind of break down these things. They go, man, what does that matter? That's semantics. Really, you ought to read some scholarly works. Oh, my gosh. Talk about really breaking stuff down. Okay. But it is. It is in one sense. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, right? If, if And we use MacArthur as an example of are these letters pointing to uh, that overcomer is something that is given to a believer at the initial point of their salvation, and from that point on, they're automatically overcomers, period, end of story. That's re Calvinism or Reformed theology. Well, that's a yes and a no. <clears throat> because in our experience, I'm not victorious every moment of the day. Man, I fail. I give in. I break down. I make the wrong choice. I make the wrong decision. I think the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing. Things that are clearly against Scripture. And guess what? I know 100% that I'm not the only one in this room that has that exact same experience. So in that moment, am I victorious? You don't feel victorious in that. <laughs> well, I didn't have victory. I fell. See, I kind of get the feeling that, that, that what, we're, what God is, is alluding to more than anything else is don't think that because you have a relationship with me that you're somehow removed from the troubles and trials mm. of life. We're not immune. You're, 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 you're going to have all of those things. You have victory in the fact that, that your your eternal destination is secure. Your place in me is secure. It, it's it's finished. That work is done. It, it, that happened on the cross. That doesn't take you away from the fact that you're still going to have have problems here on earth. That will always be the case. It was the case. I mean, how, how many how many unbelievable pastors do you see? Guys that that are world renowned that get caught up in marital affairs. You know. Yeah. Does that mean they weren't believers all along? They were charlatans, yeah. or does that mean that they're just as just as as you know susceptible to, to, to life's troubles and as anybody else is? And these are important questions, guys. These are important things for you and I as believers to mull over because our answers, where we come to, and how we believe, or what we believe the answer to those types of questions are, are going to impact and affect the way that we treat other people. So, but the Bible tells us of all the people that God used, even in, in Jesus' lineage from David and all the people, Rahab, and all those people that he used. I mean, she was a harlot, and she's still in the lineage of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So God uses whomever he chooses, Amen. no matter what their circumstances or what their choices have been, he still uses them for his glory. And there's people that God used for his glory who are going to hell. 
So, man, we just kind of get into all these questions, right? You got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And you got to support it with, with scripture. Okay? Because here, here's, here's what you see. And this is a reason that I really believe. I believe this. I believe that these, and don't believe it because I believe it. Right. Okay? I, I believe that these passages of scripture, and somebody go grab John. We're going to jump down here to John 14, uh, verse 15. Somebody go grab that. Yeah. You got that? Go ahead, Frank. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Man, so what are you going to do? If you love him, what are you going to do? Keep him. You're going to keep his commandments, right? Now that gets in a whole nother... Which commandments? Yeah, which commandments? <laughs> are, we are, are we talking about the law? That There's believers. Man, we, Heath and I have had a, a bunch of discussions with certain, certain believers and people that we know. All right, so John 14 and 15, if you love me, you're going to do something. If you don't love me... Or if you're not doing those things, that's kind of saying something, right? You don't love God. You don't love Christ, necessarily. A lot of believers sitting in church who, who don't do anything. So where are we getting with all this? I'm going to read something to you. All right, I'm going to string these passages together. All, all, I'm going to string together these, these verses and what all of these letters said. And I'm going to speak it to you. Okay, so this is what he says about the overcomer. Okay, so if you love me, right, you're going to keep my commandments. So the overcomer, if you will just have faith, you will be saved, right? If we have faith, we'll be saved. It goes all the way back to Abraham, right? Why, why was righteousness accounted to Abraham? Because he believed God. And because he believed God. But then, through these letters, we see something about our faith. Because if we love him, what are we going to do? Keep his commandments. We're going to keep his commandments. Faith without works is what? Man, it's dead. If you love God, your tree is going to bear fruit. Much of it, right? It's going to be visible. So he says, He who exercises patience and labors for his name's sake and does not become weary. Revelations 2, 3. And repents and does the first works, Revelations 2.5. And hates the doctrines and deeds of the false teachers and prophets. That's Revelation 1.6 and 15. And holds fast to his name and does not deny his faith, Revelation 2.13. And works and loves and serves, Revelation 2.19. And holds fast to what he has, Revelation 2.25. And Revelation 3.11. And keeps his works until the end. Revelation 2.26. And is watchful. And strengthens the things that remain. And is ready to die. Revelation 3.2. And remembers how he has received and heard. Revelation 3.3. And keeps his command to persevere. Revelation 3.10. And buys from him gold. Refined in the fire. And white garments. And salve. Revelation 3.18. And is zealous. Revelation 3.19. And hears his voice and opens the door. Revelation 3.20. To him who overcomes, he will grant to sit with him on his throne. And he will bless with all these blessings. So how do we do it? How in the world do we overcome? Man, he doesn't leave us silent. Somebody grab 1 John 4.4. 4. Let's hurry up. I got it. You got that, Heath? Grab first, somebody grab first John 5, verse 4 through 5. 
Do I have a taker? Okay. You got that, Jim? And then somebody grab John 15, verse 5. Right? Go ahead, Eve. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Man, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, amen. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> apart from me, you can do nothing. The whole point is, you know something? You, you're saved. You're a new creation at the moment that, that you believe and you accept Christ. And yes, we have overcome the world at that point. But yet, we're not going to go through this life without trials and conflict and tribulations and facing issues and decisions that we have to make. And in order for us to continue, not in salvation, but victorious living, to extend his kingdom and his purposes here, to be light and salt, and ultimately to receive these rewards that he has for us, for our faithfulness and fruitfulness, right? We have to persevere. We have to overcome. And how do we do it? It's him who does it in us. So we continue to look faithfully to who? To Jesus. And that's why the fruit is, is that sign of a believer, because the fruit isn't anything that you do. Amen. The fruit's done by him. It's done by him. But it requires action. <laughs> it's not a get saved and sit around and wait. Well, if it was done by us, then we would boast about it. Amen. <laughs> Lord, we thank you, Father, for today. We just praise you for who you are. Just ask, Lord God, that you just really seal this word in the walls of our heart, that you bring us into remembrance of it by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. 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 amen.